Let's do it. Let's give it a shot. Welcome to the Big Moves Podcast. I'm your host, Devin, and each episode, I have the pleasure of chatting with a special guest about a big move they've made, relocating from the home they knew to live like a local in a brand new place. In the 90s, my whole family moved from Toronto to Australia for a year, and that time really influenced the way I travel, the way I view the world, and the way I define home. So travel along with us every other Wednesday as we explore what inspires us to make big moves, what leads us new places, and what calls us home. That's all here on the Big Moves Podcast. So, Devor, thank you so much for doing this. I'm so glad to have you on the Big Moves podcast today. Thank you. You have lived many places. Yeah. Have you had uh, in your head, has it been hard for you to sort of feel like uh, a certain place is home? Do you feel like home has always sort of traveled with you? or? Um, it, 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 one of the things that I like that quote that says, diaspora blues, you know, like I'm too foreign for home and I'm too foreign for here, but never enough for both. Yeah, that's how I feel like I feel like here I will always have that accent and people would always come up to me and say, where are you from? Where are you from? Oh, where are you from? Yeah. Um, yeah. If I go back home, I would also maybe speak with an accent or I would forget some words and I'd be like, just kind of like zone out for a minute. Right. So sure. Yeah. So it, it feels like you're never really home, but you have um, you have an idea what home, like as they say, home is where the heart is. Right. So sure. That, that's yeah. what's important. And it must have been interesting for you. You were born in Serbia and then grew up in Bosnia and then also lived in Croatia for a time. And those three countries were the ones that were right at war. So that must have been very interesting to sort of reconcile as well, right? That is so true, yeah. Um, yeah, I feel yeah, connected yeah. to all of them. Yeah, like um, what, I mean, what happened is like uh, Serbia itself, like where, where we were growing up, it was like the little town that's bordered with Hungary. Mm-hmm. So my my parents, they would like speak Hungarian just because they would constantly go across the border in order to buy stuff that's cheaper than sure. in Yugoslavia. And it would be stuff that's made in Yugoslavia, which never made sense, right? Like, hmm. so like, I think what, that's one of the things that like, what I like about a lot of people coming in from Europe is that they always take time to learn different languages or different thank yous and hellos and certain smaller like a words of gratitude when it comes to things like asking for specific directions or stuff like that, just like that. So like, sure. like I ended up going to this crazy Europe trip a couple of years ago. There was like 12 countries in 18 days. And yeah, one of my friends was saying that I'm like a pocket knife of languages because, you know, I knew how to say <laughs> thank you in Portuguese or Spanish or German or whatever. Cause, but yeah, that was like the That's beautiful awesome. thing about it. And you, you grew up, what, what languages did you grow up speaking? Like you obviously have started sort of an ear for language early. Yeah, yeah. So in, in Bosnia, we actually teach or they teach us Serbo-Croatian. So we learn okay. the, the the Croatian side of it, the Serbian side of it. They also write in Cyrillic writing, which is more okay. like Russians. And okay. then we also learn Bosnian. So Bosnian is a mix of the two. Plus, it mm-hmm. has a lot of Turkish words because 600 years ago plus, we were part of the the Ottoman Empire. Okay. And and the Turkish influence has stayed really really strong with Bosnia. So we have like the old town in Sarajevo. The capital has a lot of uh, little shops that are like made from copper. They would make 
plates and cups and coffee mugs and stuff like that because that's one of those traditions that's been passed on and on and on and on throughout the year. And also, like, uh, Bosnia was also the mixture of the culture slash religions. So in Serbia, you would have predominantly Orthodox people. They're still mm-hmm. cat like they still believe in 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 Jesus and stuff like that. But for them, everything is kind of like two weeks behind. So their Christmas is January seventh. The New Year's is January fourteen. Easter yeah. is usually two weeks behind the the Catholic one. The Croatian people are like ninety nine percent Catholic, so they're following the the whatever the the way Vatican is saying this is what it is and then in sure. Bosnia like in Sarajevo for example we are mixed of four religions we have the Muslims which are most of the country and then mixed of uh, Serbian people Orthodox religion Catholic people Croatian religion and then we have Jewish people and in even in the capital we have all four um, like this church, mosque, and synagogue, they're all like maybe 200 meters away from one another, and they've been there for okay. years. Yeah. One of the things that is that we never really knew if we belong to a specific kind of ethnic group or whatever. Like my, my sister would ask, Dad, are we Muslim? And he would say, like, why would you ask that? He's like, oh, because tomorrow, if you're Muslim, we don't have to go to school. It's Ramadan. And he's like, no, <laughs> you're going to go to school, right? So stuff like that. So we weren't really broad with that. And, and that's why I think it was... It was good because uh, we were brought up with respect of everyone learning. It's kind of beautiful. Yeah, it sounds like you, you didn't really ever think of your, you know, yourself or anyone else as other. It's just we all were, right? Everybody was kind yeah. of, yeah, and that, which is really nice. And that, unfortunately, that changed in, in April of 1992, right? Mm-hmm. The second the mm-hmm. first bullet hit the town, that's when mm-hmm. people started to be like, oh, wait, your name must be Orthodox. Oh, your ma- right. name is more Muslim. So that's how people right. started getting segregated or like even discriminated in specific parts because of the fact that they were not um they didn't look like some they looked the same as everybody else but they didn't their name did not match their um beliefs kind of thing right all of a sudden that started to matter to people which is hard yeah, yeah. and uh you guys moved fairly soon after that started right or you and, yeah, you and yeah. your sister it was a month into the war uh yeah. that's when united nations had like a one train that was basically uh, scheduled to leave the town and that's when we were like okay like what are we gonna do are we gonna leave are we gonna stay because mm-hmm. uh looking at different parts of the country a lot of places they were kind of like taken over by the enemy and that's it like the war is over kind of thing but it looked like this is not gonna happen here it might be mm-hmm. a little bit longer so for our safety uh, my parents were like let's let's leave the city right. we, and then you know when we came to the train station we had to basically leave my dad behind because he is of age to be in a war so he had to stay behind right so that's mm-hmm. that's what i was saying like earlier like we had that like a little bit of a um, separation kind of like in the films where you know they're yeah. taking him away and he cannot come with us kind of thing so and you and know, did you as a 10 year old did you fully sort of grasp all of it that what was going on obviously it was like you, you couldn't not know what was going on but do you feel like you understood it on a pretty adult level at that time no not yet i don't think that hit me until like when i talked to my dad for the first time he says uh right now i need you to put down your toys you need to grow up and you need to take care of mom and sister because maybe i won't be there hmm. that's huge that's yeah. huge to put right for you yeah to be processing and, as a kid yeah yeah and and that's when 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 i think that's the first time when i actually realized that i need to grow up hmm 
right? And yeah, it was and, probably pretty instantaneous, right? <laughs> like that's yeah. hard to yeah. And and one thing that I did is I respected like the school as like I would be treating it as in. I am definitely going to be the best I can be because I want to study. I want to prove hard to everybody that we people from Bosnia are not, you know, like stupid or whatever. Because sometimes yeah. our jokes are usually like that, that Bosnian people are usually a little bit slow. So when you ended up in the capital of Croatia, which is you were there for about a year, is that right? Um, and was that... In the capital, we were there for almost two years, like a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And did you, at that time, did you think, okay, we're, we're here for a while or did it still feel pretty temporary? Like, did you know um, going in, did you have an end date in mind or... No, because the war was just never ending. So what mm-hmm. happened is um, in, in former Yugoslavia, Slovenia was like, we want to separate we want to be right. our own country. And you know what? Everybody was like, okay. Because mm-hmm. Slovenia, even though they were part of Yugoslavia, they speak a different language. We mm. can kind of understand them, but not really. But their values and and stuff was very much like Western Europe. Sure. So, um, like, I remember being with one of my friends in like Ljubljana in their capital. And um, he came to a car, like his car, and there was a note that said, oh, I accidentally grazed your vehicle on the way out when I was leaving the parking lot. If there's any damages, please call me. And mm-hmm. I'm like thinking, like, huh, this would never happen in Bosnia. Like people will hit your car and run away, right? Like it's like kind of thing like... Th- <laughs> so polite. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so that's what I'm saying. Like they were more like Western style. So when, when war was in Slovenia, to my knowledge, it was only like three weeks. And okay. about 20, 20 people died. Like, it wasn't, it was like, the war starts, like, Serbia's like, no, this used to belong to us 600 years ago. Three weeks later, it's over. And then Croatia's like, we want to be independent, but Croatia wanted to be independent 400 years, right? Like, since hmm. World War One. Like, after the, um, after the Ottoman Empire, the Austria-Hungary came, they wanted to be separate because they don't believe that they're part of that whole Slavic culture. Even though we speak the language, they're more Catholic, they're not... You know, like the eastern part, which is like more Russian part or more Muslim. So, right. you know, when they say they want to separate, then Serbs are like, okay, same thing. Like they, they end up attacking them. But because Croatia looks kind of like the letter, like sideways letter U, the most of the war was like on the north part or the south part. Not much, okay. not much happening. But like in a year and a half, there was there like around 10,000 people might have died. And then, okay. like, in Bosnia, like, war was for four years and about 250,000 people died, right? So yeah, it was, way, it, yeah, way different. Yeah, yeah, so it's like, it felt like it's not ending. It felt like this is definitely going on and on and on and on. And it's just like, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. So it, it didn't feel like, it felt like in the beginning, this is just temporary. But yeah. now as we are there in the capital, it says like, okay, you know what? This is not going to end anytime soon right right and where did you end up actually physically living was that i know you had been with some friends and family along the way but when you said when you sort of settled there for a bit where did you end up staying so some family member uh basically found us a place to live and this place to live was like living in somebody's attic in a in a place that have a washroom but not don't have any uh bathtub so okay. literally it's like you can go to washroom but you cannot wash yourself so hmm. we would like we would have to call people up to to go to people's homes if you want to take a shower which is kind of mm-hmm. like degrading to do that for like a year and a half 
Of course, know? yeah. And, yeah. And, and my mom, who was like a professor for 18 years, I can just imagine how hard it was for her to keep on calling people and say, hey, do you mind if we come over because we need to take a shower? It, it does mm-hmm. sounds kind of weird that, you know, that was happening. And, you know, it was reality. Like, and that's like that's why I kind of like I joined forces with some of the people who were from my class who never really looked at me as in I was different. Mm-hmm. Like as in, oh, you come from another another town. However, in the capital, when we were put in the 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 book for like the marks and everything for the teachers, mm-hmm. everybody who was for, from Bosnia was put in from instead of you know in alphabetical order, we would put after everybody in a pencil because they were like, "You're gonna leave soon anyway, so we don't oh need to goodness. waste pages on your end." So it didn't even like make you part of the class. Fully. No, that's crazy. No, no, no. Huh. So we will be putting in the end. So yeah, so that's how like um, it, it was like temporary, but like we really did not want to be there. It was very, right. very, very difficult, especially like for my mom, right? Like yeah, being part of that. And I'm assuming your parents probably weren't too old either, right? Like 30s or 40s, maybe? Like, that's yeah, a lot yeah. for them to be going through, right? With two young kids. Yeah, and, early yeah. 30s. Early 30s. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's like, it's very hard to think of, right? And you, so you went to school. Was it sort of a, a priority for your mom to make sure that you guys were staying in school and, you know, getting to school in these different places you were at? Or did you have a little time in between? Or how did that um, We finished grade five in Karlovac and then in grade six and, and middle of grade seven I did uh, in Zagreb. It wasn't... It was not necessarily like my mom's thoughts. It was the government who says, "Hey, your kids need to go to school, right?" Sure. So we, as soon, like, it was kind of weird because as soon as we entered Germany, we right away got a notice like, "You need to attend school." So we ended up hmm. finishing like, like going to the grade four and finishing grade four in Serbia because the second you show up, you get a notice like, "Oh, you got to go to school." So it's not like you have a hmm. choice. Um, right. Yeah. So like for us, it it was important to do it like because education obviously is very important. And you didn't want to like lose out on anything. And I know a mm-hmm. few people even today who never finished even elementary school because war starts when they were grade three or four or five. And then right. after four or five years later, what are they going to do? Like go back to the grade three when they're you right. know, like 15, yeah, 16 years Yeah, those pivotal sort of ages. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So, like, like I knew people I met here in Canada who never finished like elementary school there. And then mm-hmm. they would they would go to college or go to university here and they would find it extremely difficult because they never were, um, they never had that ethic of how do I make an assignment? How do I research a paper? They never knew that. And, you know, when you come in here, they're like, well, you're 20 years old. You should be going to college right now. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a totally different basis, right? Mm -hmm. For what you have learned. Yeah. And did you find, so you said the kids were fairly accepting. Were there like a, a, a few other kids in a similar situation who were living there sort of out of necessity? Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because like um, when you look at when the refugees were like leaving Bosnia, out of 4 million people that the country has, around 2 million left the country. Mm. So, mm. you know, like uh, Bosnian people were everywhere. Like whether you go to Italy, you go to Germany, you're always going to meet somebody who is from from those regions right so yeah. in, like in my school per se me and my sister were the only bosnian kids but i'm pretty okay. sure in other places there was probably like much much more right so yeah and, and i mean i guess people ended up anywhere and everywhere right it might have been where they had family or where they could get to or and that was the first thing like first always you go where your family is and then mm-hmm. you know because that's probably the safest place and sure. then 
um, like one of my friends, she she was uh, they decided to go to Denmark. You know, mm. they don't have anybody in Denmark, but they're like, we want to go to Denmark because you know they accept refugees. But when mm-hmm. they went to Denmark, they would be put on the shipping containers on a ship for like five years. And they basically locked them in there to say, you can't really leave. Oh, my goodness. You know, like you can walk around the ship. We'll get you the food. We'll get you whatever you need. But you can't really leave. So they were kind of like stuck in one place for a long time. Right. Mm-hmm. And then like now they live there. They're happy and everything's fine. They have like their own homes and all that. But like the first few years might have been much different than going to Germany, maybe going to Italy, right? right. Stuff like and you don't, you don't know that before you go, right? There's no way for you to yeah. at that time, like, yeah, have looked that up or, you know. Yeah, when I went to Sweden a couple of years ago, I ended up going to a jail in, in, in their capital in Stockholm where actually all the Syrian refugees are being held, right? Because mm. in their jails, they, they don't really have many people in prisons over there. Like, it's kind of like... They're more a little bit like, oh, we'll find a way. Like, they put people on islands and stuff like that. And, like, sure. yeah, it's less, it's, it's a little bit different than here. So, I ended up visiting the jail because I just wanted to, you know, being a refugee, I wanted to see and just hearing like all these Syrian refugees are put in a prison in, in Stockholm. But, you know, they're free to walk around the city. They're free mm-hmm. to, you know, to do whatever. They have workshops for, like um, how to build a resume and stuff like that. They have all these uh, different humanitarian organizations who are teaching them how to how to do things, how to sow, you know, how to mm-hmm. even plant vegetables. So this prison became kind of like a like a living compound for many of them, and it wasn't in any way bad living conditions per se, right? It was just right. it became well, this is free here, take it kind of thing. Like not like they were imprisoned. It was just that they happened to be living in a prison. Yeah. 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 yeah that's so, very different. so it was kind of nice to them when, when we met kind of like a couple of younger kids or middle aged kids, like they were speaking English. Right. So it was mm-hmm. nice to be me telling my experience to them and then realize how much of similarities we have been going through, even though they're totally mm-hmm. in a different country. So right. it was, it was a very nice, like heartwarming experience to, to share my stories with them, you know, and then to, to realize that some of them went through those similar things, like not knowing if their family is alive. Like some of them ended up in a, in this like a like a camp in, in refugee camp in Turkey. And both parts of the family, like the mother and the father, were in the same camp, but they didn't know that they were in the same camp for three years. And they accidentally bump into each other kind of thing. So oh, my it was, goodness. So it was, like, really beautiful stories that I heard. Like, it's just... That's like a novel. Yeah, that yeah. sounds... Uh, yeah, that sounds like something you'd read, but that's so beautiful. When you were there going to school, sort of living there, did you ever feel like you eased in and it became sort of felt like home? Or was it you always sort of felt like, I just want to get home? Well... I I always was like looking up to to my dad like like right. maybe like I can't wait to see him kind of thing, but right. one of the kids who who had similar name as me, he started like break dancing, and okay. he said to me, "Hey, do you want to try this?" And I said, "I don't know, like this looks tough." So what he would do is he would record MTV videos yeah. of the famous <laughs> people dancing like Mark, Marky Mark, you know, and the Funky Bunch and whatnot. Classic and 90s, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> like, we, he would record it and he would try to repeat those dance moves. And then he said, okay, now you try, right? So I would try. I'm like, okay, you're not bad, not bad. So we created our little 
boyband, like breakdance group, right? Nice. So yeah. <laughs> then he said to me, uh, hey, I was thinking maybe we can compete for like, you know, like American Got Talent. They had some kind of a show like that where it's only yeah. for kids in a specific age groups. And this is for kids who are in elementary school. And I'm okay. like, I don't know, man, like, let's do it, right? Like, let's give it a shot. So <laughs> him and I, we, we basically competed in front of like, I don't know, like 200 people. And we became first in this competition. Oh my gosh, and they're that's like, amazing. Oh, you're like, and this is the first time I kind of felt like I belong somewhere. You know what I mean? Because sure, it was like yeah. this whole time, like you're written in a pencil at the end of the school book kind of thing. It's like always yeah. been kind of like you're the the Bosnian kid you're the Bosnian kid kind of thing right but like this time I felt like I was part of this group and we were like really close friends and and then there we got invited to come you know to the next week where we're doing competition however we never knew that we needed to change our routine so we danced the same thing and they're like oh "Uh, no yeah this is (laughs) not gonna work right so so we kind of got disqualified the second week but still like that experience was like really really exciting so he goes to me like hey you know what we were doing um for this competition do you want to do it in a downtown so like okay so we go to the main square and we would set up like kind of like at eaton center you would see those people who would be dancing for money or like they're freezing and then when somebody drops the cash so you know we started doing that without asking for money but people start paying us money right okay nice for a person who hasn't seen a chocolate bar in two years, all of a sudden to get like, oh, I have $5 and wow, this is crazy, right? Like, or whatever yeah. the, the money is over there. It became kind of like, okay, I think we can do this again. So we started doing it like on a weekly basis, coming down to the to the capital, just not to the capital, to the market square of the capital, where we can just like showcase our skills. And we're, we started building this like a little group of people who had similar interests so next thing you know we had like maybe like i don't know like 10 of us were kind of like all performing together and became part of this uh like a little dance group that was kind of like an early definition of croatian jabavakis in a way right like it was it it was so much fun yeah yeah but then when i came to canada i felt like i was back in that same where do i belong who am I? Like my whole identity crisis hit me again because, right? Um, like over there, everybody was listening to this like hardcore rave techno music, and that's how you can dance these like like breakdance moves too. And then I came here, and my high school was like, you either like hip hop or like a gangster rap, or you're into the <laughs> alternative slash rock music. There's no in between, right? So when right. yeah, when I started dancing this like stuff, and you know like with the techno music, people were like. Um, who is this kid? Like, what? <laughs> so no. you felt you went through that again? Like, oh, yeah. okay, I have to find myself and find my yeah. people. Yeah, but this time I, I branched out. This time I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna be part of one group. I'm gonna be part of every group. So I started listening to everything from alternative to rock music to hip hop, just so I can belong to every possible group. So I I never feel like I'm out of place, kind of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I would say that in the in the interactions we've had working at TIFF and, you know, anytime we've sort of been out or whatever, I would say that you're definitely a person who kind of gets to know everyone and, and has, yeah, like lots of interests and, you know, will find things to talk about with anyone and everyone, which I think is probably part of your personality because of all the things you've been through, right? Which is very cool. Well, I you. love that break dancing. That's so fun. <laughs> was that sort of your main place you hung out? Like the the market was sort of became your your little cruise yeah. spot. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. definitely our spot because it, it's like it's very historic. Like it has like um, like a church that's like a cathedral that's over nine hundred years old. 
A hmm. lot of tourists, they will come to this spot because it's one of the most popular spots in the city. So to be part of that, and, you know, like I'm always thinking that somewhere along the line, somebody will have me in the background of their photo, not knowing totally, that, yeah. you know, because <laughs> they might be posing for their pictures. You know, yeah, I always it, think about that when I'm traveling and you see someone taking a photo and you're like, I'm totally in their photo. <laughs> like I'm in their yeah. vacation photo now. Yeah, it's very funny. Yeah, so like it, it became like... Like it, it became a place for us of feeling accepted, and we were able to collect um, positive feedback from anybody who came. Because a lot of people, you know, like mm-hmm. they would stop and watch us, even though we never asked for money. They would just, and that, like you, the applause that you get at the end, it was kind of yeah. like a rewarding experience of like, okay, somebody enjoyed this piece of art, even though we didn't know that was art at the time. We were just copying the dance moves that we learned from prodigy and you know like all this <laughs> <laughs> totally but that's the beautiful thing about art at that age right is you're not thinking of it as that but that's exactly what it is and you're like i don't know why this makes like brings me so much joy but i'm just yeah. gonna keep doing it i'm hanging out with my buddies and then yeah if you get a couple bucks too right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So. so yeah and then um like at that time i think there was also like a big uprise in like some kind of like a gangs i guess from from croatia because you know like after war um some people might have joined like specific groups or whatever and we felt like even though these groups were kind of hanging out at the main squares and stuff like that we never felt threatened by them because they always felt mm-hmm. we always felt like they were kind of there to protect us in a case somebody's trying to do something however sure. however like we we were new you know it's kind of like a like a wolf you know you know that you can pet it but don't turn your back to it kind of thing so yeah sure. so even like seeing those things that like these kind of like older people who were up to no good were like kind of telling us like you know what nobody's gonna bother you can do whatever you want kind of here it kind of we kind of felt good like even though it wasn't like the best thing but still it yeah. was yeah it was welcoming yeah and i think it's that's a theme that's come up in with a lot of people i've talked to is when you move finding your people and people who make you feel at home is a huge huge part of of feeling at ease anywhere right regardless of the circumstances regardless mm-hmm. of your age or what type of thing you get involved with with people i think it's about finding like even just a couple people who you feel like you can be yourself around right Which yeah, is- yeah yeah absolutely and you know like it, funny enough like those those kids like that where we grew up in that like little um in the that little street they had mm-hmm. even though they were like 10 11 12 years old they all had something to contribute to society like mm-hmm. one one of the one of the friends not the break dancer but one of our one of our friends he was fixing bikes and like mm-hmm. as an 11 year old he was constantly fixing bikes right like it was just like one of his arts and he was really good with his hands and stuff like that um the breakdancing kid, his father was uh, making tombstones. And oh, wow. yeah, and then he was able to basically create some kind of like uh, stuff out of the stone that nobody else was able to make. So he would create some mm. kind of like a little chain for us, kind of like a shark tooth or something like it from an actual stone, right? That's like, cool. so we all look like we belong in this part of group kind of thing. So, <laughs> you know. Did you have a name? Did your breakdancing crew have a name? Uh, we called ourselves Dax, D-A-X, because okay. my name is like Davor, and then he was the same name with the K-O at the end, Davorko. So okay. we were kind of like Dax, like that was like our... Nice, like put the, you two together. <laughs> yeah. That's very cute, I like that. Is there like, I wonder if there's footage of your Oh, um, I hope not, dance. but... <laughs> however, no, no, there's not. No, I don't think so. 
Holistic World Healing is owned and operated by Natalie Karen, a leader in the wellness industry in Toronto, Canada. Natalie teaches and supports women to their highest potential and guides them in living the life they dream of. Although she is best known for her signature online programs, Healing to Begin and Transformative Meditations, she also co-curates The Wellness Market, an interactive day of wellness which has also naturally turned into a meeting place where wellness professionals and small businesses meet and network. The Wellness Market gives you access to everything new in the wellness world, including classes and workshops where you can experience, connect, and dive into what the wellness world has to offer. Having been to the Wellness Market in the past, I can vouch for the overwhelming in the best way selection of amazing vendors and offerings and I highly suggest visiting thewellnessmarket.ca to learn more. To connect with Natalie, who has been a huge part of my own wellness journey and who I can't recommend enough, visit holisticworldhealing.com or find her on Instagram at natalie.karen. So one day I came home from from school, me and my sister came home from school, and my mom was sitting at the table, and she was holding up hands with a man who was an okay. old man. And, okay. and we were like, okay, like, what's this? And um, this man turned around and he spoke my name and my sister's name, and it was my dad. So in a war, he lost 46 kilograms. So that's like 100 pounds that he has lost. Oh, my gosh. His hair was completely white from the fear. And and you said he was like early, mid-30s by this point. Yes. But just, yeah, yeah it looked like much different. 35, wow. 36. And yeah. like, I did not recognize him because of the fact that he looked like 80-year-old man. Right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, my mom through the information from the United Nations. They were basically saying that people can leave the city, Sarajevo, the only way to leave it is by going into this tunnel that was created underneath of the airport. Okay. And this tunnel is only 30 centimeters high or so, maybe 40 centimeters high. It was dug out by people. However, like the Serbian territory was, they took out all of the mountain range from the city. And the city okay. is in a valley. So there's no way in, no way out. Mm-hmm. After we left, that was all thing was blocked off, right? So the only way out was basically to crawl, I don't know, like six or eight kilometers in complete dark in this like a small little, like uh, imagine one foot of of space. You're crawling and not knowing that where it's going to end. And you got to crawl right. for six to eight kilometers in order to get oh to the goodness. other side of the mountain. And when you come to the other side of the mountain, the United Nations can pick you up. And my dad got some kind of like a letter that says that he needs operation, urgent operation in Croatia. Okay. So that's how he was able to kind of like leave. But none of this we knew, right? It's just basically he showed up the day, I guess he was in contact with my mom, but she didn't want to tell us just in case he doesn't show up. Sure. And then uh, we saw him and we were like, oh my God, we got you got to stay, you got to stay. Like you can't go back, like you have to stay. And he told my mom to apply to any country that accepts Bosnian refugees. So okay. the next morning, my mom applied to 17 countries. So whether it was Czechoslovakia, you know, like Slovenia, Germany, Italy, anybody that was accepting refugees, Canada was one of them. And my dad says, I'm going to have to go back. We're like, don't go back. He says, no, I have to go back. Well, don't go back. 
And by the time we came home from school, he was gone. Mm. And like, we never knew why he went back. Like for us, it was like very, like he just left. And this mm -hmm. is now the worst time in a war because now communications are completely gone. Like even those like people with those radios, they, they don't even have access to that anymore, right? So now we're like, mm -hmm. okay, what the hell, what the hell happened? So um, what we find out later is that he took a train back to Bosnia and the train okay. got attacked. And when the train got attacked, basically quite a lot of people ended up dying, but good like 100 people ran in outside of the train and they were hiding in a forest. So then my dad walked about 150 kilometers through the forest to go to his parents' home. And then, you know, surviving from just drinking water, he says water from the socks that was, you know, like if from the rain and eating some like parts of the tree just to keep, you know, like some kind of food and whatever. And then mm -hmm. went to his parents' home and then ended up going back to the Sarajevo, which is like by distance is about four, four hours away. So I'm not even sure how he went back to Sarajevo. But uh, we never knew any of this because he just left, right? And we never mm -hmm. knew why he left. But he said he left afterwards to find out because that note that says that he needs this urgent operation basically stated that if he doesn't come back within a couple of days, he'll become a deserter, a, mm. a traitor, right? So then just him thinking that he has his whole family, mom, dad, his brother, his sister, like his whole family is in Bosnia, he will never be able to go visit them. So he ended up going back. He knew that we would not understand right so six months have now passed since we never even see him talk to him at all we have no communication whatsoever and six months have passed and we get a call from canadian government to say hey we want to do an interview for you to come to canada oh my gosh and my mom said but you know he's not here so right. i'm not sure what we're going to do but they say you know what your schedule your interview is on monday if he's not there for the interview we cannot allow him to come to Canada. And did you guys as kids know this when this was going on or did your mom sort of keep this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. she told us that. And yeah. and like, so we were like, what do we do? We're like, we don't even know if he's alive, right? Like that's, right. that's the problem. So she says, okay, well, Monday it is. And then I think it was about Wednesday or Thursday before Monday when um, they called us back from the Canadian government. They said, oh, Pope John Paul II is coming to Zagreb, Croatia, and the whole city will be insane, and the traffic mm -hmm. jams will be everywhere. So because he's here for three days, can we reschedule your visit for Thursday, Thursday at oh 9 a.m.? And, okay. and we're going to do like a background checks, the medical checks, and whatever else we need to do for the interview. And my mom said, oh, okay, by the way, my I don't know anything about my husband. They say, again, if he doesn't come for the interview, he cannot come to Canada, right? Okay. Mm. Wednesday night, my dad showed up. <gasps> like <I have> goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, Wednesday night he oh, showed up. And when he showed oh, up, he was holding the guitar that he gave me when I was like eight years old. Oh. Hold on, I still have the guitar. Oh my goodness. See? <gasps> That's magical. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That guitar has seen some, seen some things. Seen yeah, but he life. he was able to 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 uh, save it in a war, and he brought like wow. um, some kind of gift that he gave my mom on a first date. He brought some kind of a clock that uh, uh, they were given as a wedding gift uh, wow. when when they got married, and like some 
uh, birth gifts that both me and my sister got from our grandparents. Oh my goodness! So, he so brought, your home had sort of stayed untouched, or enough that he could get those things. Um, that yeah, but what yeah. he what we don't have is any childhood photographs, mm-hmm. because when war hit, there was no more windows on any any apartment any like all the windows were blasted through the whole city right so whatever temperature was outside was inside as well so he was burning our pictures to keep warm right he was burning the furniture to keep warm right so definitely he didn't he wasn't able to save a lot of memories but he was able to save the guitar and stuff like that so thursday morning Mm -hmm. we went for that interview and they basically uh they told us that like we will find out if you're going to go to Canada or not, right? So I, I, I didn't take long. It, it may be like a couple of weeks before we find out that we are going to Canada. And then we had to go to the classes to learn what Canada life is like. Sure. Right? And there was like these two like instructors. And the first slide that they put up is a slide of an igloo. And they were like, this is what Canada is in the wintertime. And then they go to the next one. And it's the same picture. They're like, this is Canada in, in summer. And they're like high-fiving oh each other. God. Like, ha, 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 ha. And we're like, what? Where are we going? So, so is this Canadian officials doing yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like then, they thought they were hilarious? Yeah, yeah. So, but then they're like, okay, no, this is not what it is. It's like, and then right. they show like different cities. However, yeah. um, what what happened was there was about 17 families, I think, going to different places in Canada. Okay. And it became kind of like a lottery, right? Like they had mm-hmm. like 17 names in one bowl and they have 17 cities in another one. So they'll be like, this family is going to go to Ottawa, right? So they say to us, we're getting Windsor, okay. right? And Windsor, we don't know anything about the Windsor. And one of the guys right. shows up and he goes, hey... You got the best town because it's the southest part of Canada. It's the warmest one. And we were like, oh, okay, that sounds good. <laughs> right? I mean, is it really I love it. is it really or is it not? Right. So okay. So <laughs> I think that was like around October time. And now they told us you're gonna go in December. December seven is when you're coming to Canada, nineteen ninety four. And one of the things that I always post on my Facebook on December 7th of like as one of those like shared memories Mm -hmm. is the fact that this is the first time we have experienced Canadian hospitality. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time that we are like, this is a place we can call home. Mm -hmm. Because when we landed in when first when we boarded a plane in Zagreb, it was like 19 Celsius or 20 Celsius. Like it was like nice and warm, even though it was December, it was still like kind of like a t-shirt you know like t-shirt very sure. and then when we came landed in toronto it was like minus 35 celsius i was gonna say coming to canada in december is yeah oh, that would be a wake up yeah it was like snowstorm and like extremely cold and this customs officer said okay like where's your luggage and we're like oh we have like a bag with socks and underwear we don't have anything like we have no mm-hmm. furniture we have literally no money we have nothing mm-hmm. and he was like oh Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to put you in a room and you're going to be watching a video of Welcome to Canada, which is like a special introduction to like living in a city and how to go about transportation and stuff like that. So we're Mm -hmm. like, okay, that's cool. So we were watching this, like it was good, like maybe 20, 30 minutes of this video. It's like intro to Canada. And then this customs officer that that, uh, greeted us firstly, I was processing our paperwork. He comes back with bags bags of stuff of winter clothing 
and he bought himself whole lot of winter clothes like winter jackets winter like boots for me for my mom for my dad like for us and he said like there's no way i can let you in canada with just what you're wearing because it's extremely cold right so uh welcome to canada and like that was just like oh my god like this was like the first time that it felt like people didn't look at us like oh my god you're bosnian you know like let me it was actually the opposite it was like oh you're bosnian let me yeah give oh that's so special yeah and like that's like that's what i was talking about like that's the first time we felt that canadian hospitality right and then Mm -hmm. when we came to to windsor it was like that was the city that was given to us and then government has a special program where they put you in a specific housing until you find your own rent they give you mm-hmm. you know like some kind of like a like a kind of like a welfare i guess for for like a year but then okay. after the year is over all that money that they have given us plus the plane tickets we have to pay back within 5 years oh my so, goodness so yeah, so that's why like I, I sometimes I see like these things about like refugees are getting so much money, you know, like like these posts and, and like, and I'm like no they don't because mm-hmm. even though they might be getting this money they still have to pay it back. It's it's, it's just kinda, a temporary yeah yeah it's, over almost yeah yeah and and that's what a lot of people don't understand that you know a lot of people are refugees not because they just want to like take on a um, Canadian luxury lifestyle. It's because they have no place to go and. And, yeah. you know, when you hear it on the street, when somebody says, go back to your country, like a lot of people would want to go back. Yeah, but of course, they can't. yeah, not many people would choose to. Yeah, Yeah, but they can't. Masks are the newest accessory in all of our wardrobes, and our favorite masks come from four seasonal fun design. We can't recommend them enough for their comfort and wearability. These two layer masks come in all sorts of fun patterns, have a soft inner lining, and can be made in both adult and child sizes. They will even work with you to bring unique ideas and custom orders to life. We ordered masks with the podcast logo on them and they look incredible. The straps are convertible, so can be worn behind the head or behind the ear, depending on where you're headed or how you're feeling. And they've also started making masks using t-shirt material for athletes and dancers, anyone who wants a little less heat held in by their mask. Visit fourseasonalfun.com, that's F-O-U-R seasonalfun.com, or search for Four Seasonal Fun on Facebook and Instagram. They offer tons of other products as well, so make sure to check out their embroidery, fabric, and artwork while you're there. Supporting local makers has never looked so good. That's a really beautiful story. I think what's interesting is that you, like like you were saying, whatever people believe, whatever they identify with, like there, it sounds like there has definitely been some divine moments in your life, right? Some universal, uh, the Pope coming in and your dad coming back just in the nick of time, right? Like there's, there's definitely some, something looking out for you guys. That is true. Pretty awesome to hear. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot. Now, have you, have you been back to any of those places since, uh, since the nineties? Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, well, Bosnia is where most of the family is. Um, some families still in Croatia. So, I do go to Bosnia, like, uh, last time I was there was 2013. Yeah. And that was during the Bosnian Film Festival. I had a film, actually, at the festival. Very and, cool. Yeah, and the film was actually pretty cool because it, it was highlighting a specific rock group that started in, in former Yugoslavia in Bosnia. Mm-hmm. But they were a rock group that stayed as one band all of their life. They never changed a drummer or a singer or whatever until, like, the singer started dying and somebody else from the group died. So, this group started rock music, and in 1960s, Yugoslavia was communist. So, um, to have rock music playing anywhere, it was kind of like 
a big no-no. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. We got to be looking to the east, not to the west. Like, you know, uh, Jimi Hendrix, he likes rock music. And he also died because of drugs. Like, that was like the message, right? Sure, sure. So, yeah. So, my dad would be talking about how, like, everybody who had, like, a longer hair as a man because they were idolized specific people from Rolling Stones or Beatles or whatever, they would be publicly shaved at the market squares by police, you know, because oh it was not like an accepted thing at the time. So this band started it, and it took about 10 years before government realized that this is not a bad thing, like this rock music hmm. is not going to make kids go crazy. Devil music, yeah. Devil music, <laughs> yeah. So this film was basically based on uh, a tribute concert for that band, but it was the first time since the war that there was 33 artists on a stage and they were all from different parts of Yugoslavia. So, Very cool. So, yeah, so it was kind of like one of those, like, uh, a music can delete boundaries of religion, of ethnicity and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. a specific person who might be a famous guitarist is being followed by, I don't know, his Bosnian groups, while person who is Serb might be, who is a singer might be followed by his Serbian groups. But somehow at that concert, there was no problems. Everybody was under one roof and everybody was singing and dancing and stuff like that. So the film was mm -hmm. kind of based on, on that of how the music can help us, you know, defeat this monster of of division, right? So yeah, yeah. And and I'm glad that it premiered in Bosnia because, you know, over there it's still kind of fresh wounds after the war. People still talk about it like it happened yesterday. So Yeah, and I mean in the grand scheme it hasn't actually been that long, right? It's yeah. yeah. It's, I mean yeah, in, in like Berlin they constantly talk about before the wall and after the wall, right? Like so Sure. Yeah. You know, so I, I get it. It's one of those like traumatic experiences for the city, for for the country and stuff like that. So it mm -hmm. was nice to see that this was premiered there where they can actually showcase to say like, you know what, we in other parts of the world were fin finally find a way to move on. So, yeah, you know, and probably extra special for you, right? Like the, you, that's literally a lot of your being coming together too, right? A lot of the mm -hmm. places that you're connected to. Yeah, true, sort of true, true, true. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's and cool. and I kept, I've been to Croatia in 24. 14-ish, right? Mm -hmm. So, by that time, I couldn't go to Bosnia. Um, but yeah, it was just like, I've been there a few times, but not, I'm due, right? So <laughs> Sure. <laughs> yeah, once to once we can travel again. <laughs> yeah, like first time I was there was in 1997, which was right after the war. And okay. that was, that was yeah. like, that was hard because you get to see everything was still like, like destroyed everywhere. Yeah. You know, yeah, so, literally very fresh. Yeah. 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 And then in 1999 again, and then 2000, 2001, 2003, 2007, and then 2013, right? So been there a few times yeah. for sure. It's just nowadays, like, you know, it's kind of like a lot of things have been fixed, but the economy mm -hmm. is still kind of 50 years behind kind of thing. So sure. Everything's just sort of paused. Yeah. Yeah. So and you I, I like that you've sort of brought up a couple of times how much art has played into I mean, your own life, but also just yeah, like sort of getting rid of the divisions between people and the sort of, you know, segregation mm -hmm. that we tend to see. That's I think it's a huge thing. It and is. I think part of I mean, I grew up mostly in Canada, but I've never, same thing, like, you know, when you grow up, I grew up in Scarborough, which was like very diverse population, mm -hmm. right? So you don't sort of think of, you just say your friends are your friends and your people are your people, you know, you don't sort of see it. And I mean, everything that's going on in the world right now is is hard to watch because it's, you know, everybody is sort of in this very heightened realizing that maybe people aren't as inclusive and as, you know, loving as we all should be. But 
Mm-hmm. It's, it, you're right that art has a huge sort of impact on how we can all connect, right? Universal language and all that. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And are you, um, is there a place like once once COVID is all <laughs> settled, however it ends up being, and travel is a, a thing again, is there a place that you have on your list that you're hoping to hit at some point? I mean, there's so many places that I would love to go to, but first thing I would like to go is probably to the beach somewhere with like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> an ocean. Like I love the idea of all-inclusive resorts because, you know, I don't have to worry about lunch, dinner, breakfast, whatever. I can go whenever I yeah. want. Like in the middle of the night, I can get the pizza done and whatever. Yeah, like, totally. Uh, yeah, but like this crazy Europe trip that I've done a couple of years ago, we landed in Portugal. And I went with two friends, and both of them, all three of us work at George Brown College. And one guy, he works in library, but he never been anywhere. No like, way. He's from Nova Scotia, right? And he only been to <laughs> yeah. Ontario and Nova Scotia. So um, so taking him on this, like, a buffet experience of Europe trip was just crazy. Because it's like, as soon as we landed in Portugal, we, we went to Spain. And then from Spain, went to Andorra, to France, to Switzerland. Uh, Monaco was there in France. Um Switzerland, Austria, Italy, um, Liechtenstein, Germany, Belgium, Netherlands, and then come back the other way, right? <laughs> and we went to Vimy Ridge, for example, which was the, the site of the World War One, and we mm-hmm. found his great great uncle there. You know, and he knew without, that, Oh my gosh, he without knew that, him having ever been. Like it just yeah, was He knew that his wow. uncle was buried there and then we were looking for somebody named Frank Marshall and we found three of them. So one of them was his uncle, great great uncle. Wow. And yeah. it was just like one of those like very eerie experience of like um being there, being part of this like like massive graveyard, you know, and just to to absorb that and stuff like that. It was just something different. But since we landed in Portugal, I was talking about this sandwich that's famous in in Porto. It's called Francesinha, which means kind of like a a little French girl. But okay. the the sandwich is like in between the breads, you have a steak, a sausage, salami, and some kind of ham. And then okay. you have the bread, then you have this like a crazy barbecue sauce and they put like an egg on top of it, right? <laughs> okay. Sounds great. It's yeah. like filling, yeah. filling beyond belief, but so good. So I was always uh-huh. talking about that, like, man, we got to try it, we got to try it. And literally, we I've been talking about that sandwich for that whole trip, going up <laughs> to the Germany and going all the way down. And finally, the last day we were in Lisbon. Let's go get that sandwich. <laughs> and you know what? Like right now, if I could go, I could go to Portugal just to yeah, eat that. That would be the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Huge thanks to today's guest for sharing their story with us and to you, lovely listeners, for joining us. This podcast would not be possible without my producer and audio engineer, Rich, who does so much work behind the scenes and who we will someday convince to have his own segment on the show. All of the music in this episode comes from The Agenda, Al Rowe, Mark Rankin, Will Hebs, and our very own Rich De Silva. If you liked this episode, please tell your pals, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and leave us a rating or review while you're at it. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Big Moves Podcast, where you'll find bonus content and amazing throwback photos from all of our guests.